Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hi there, it's Jen from the Empathic Mastery Show, and I am so excited to be here today for this really special show. I have Tina Clark. She is a Reiki master, a teacher, and a spiritual shaman here today. And Tina and I are going to talk about something really dear to my heart and really important, which is about the impact of grief and especially how grief can be an incredibly powerful teacher and a spiritual awakener. So Tina, welcome. I am so glad that you're here. I'm so glad to meet with you again, Jennifer. And Jennifer was on my podcast too, which is her episode hasn't come out yet, but it's called My Weirdest Experience. So she invited me on her show and I look forward to sharing my experiences about losing a loved one and grieving over them. Yes. And I just, I'm so grateful that you are are here to talk about this because I know that you know, losing a loved one and grief can be something that a lot of people don't even necessarily know how to talk about that. I mean, I don't know about you, but our culture is a little weird. I've heard so many stories of people who are like, they lost somebody and it's like a year later and people are saying things like, oh, you should be over it by now. Like, you know, come on, get, get past it. So tell me, I know that this has been a really powerful experience for you and life changing. So I don't know, you know, where do we begin? Like, well, uh, I had an unusual upbringing in that my father was at home with me during the day. So what the way it worked out is my mother worked for city government. So she was gone during the day and my father would work at night. So I was with him all the time when I was little so he was at home he would go grocery shopping and i would go with him and we would watch our daytime shows together because that's what he watched during the day and i did everything with him so i was very very close to him i was a daddy's girl and so i ended up going away to high school i went to boarding school for high school and um my father seemed to be not doing well health-wise. Um, he gained a lot of weight. I mean, he was always overweight, and that's a problem that is happened on my dad's side of the family. We all struggled. But he seemed to be not as healthy. Um, and it, it surprised me because uh, my father was very generous and kind and he gave me unconditional love. Hmm. And that's one of the lessons I learned later, realizing what he actually gave to me while he was alive and still in the afterlife as well. But um, 
I just got a call at school and, you know, this is before the internet and the cell phones and you had that one telephone on the floor and you may or may not be there when someone called you and you never knew who was going to pick up the phone and take the message, could be any girl on the floor. So I actually happened um, to be there to get the phone call that he had a heart attack at work. Mm. Mm. And um, I was immediately upset, of course, because this of is course. my this is my person. Yeah, you know, yeah. my father's my person. So I talked to my dorm head, and she calmed me down, and she said, "Well, a lot of people survive heart attacks, and you know, she was giving me." reasonable information but didn't really apply to mm -hmm. my situation but she didn't know that so I ended up taking a train back to New York City from Connecticut the next morning and he had already passed away that morning mm -hmm. so I never got to see him in the hospital but my sister said that was a blessing because it didn't really look like him at the hospital. So he was 46 years old. Wow. So. And how old were you at that time? I was 18. You were 18. So I was absolutely, positively, completely crushed. Yeah. So I was in shock. I didn't know what happened. I didn't know he was sick. Um, my mother said that he had some symptoms. No one told me anything, you know, that they, he had black and white bruises all over his legs and he had not been feeling well. And she told him, go see a doctor. And of course, being the typical male, he did not go to the doctor. Right. Or maybe he didn't really want to go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because there is a history of giving up on my dad's side of the family, especially health-wise. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. And I've seen that pattern again, another lesson from him passing. But after he passed away, I was in the apartment with my sister that we grew up in, and I could feel his energy around me. It was like overpowering. And it was so sad because I knew just the other day he was cooking up some eggs in this pan in the kitchen and the pan was still there in the sink and everywhere I went I just really felt him and I mm -hmm. cried and cried and my sister cried and she felt it too because my sister being an empath as well and I I don't know how long it took me to realize it but it was that experience that made me feel like He's still with me mm -hmm. because I can feel him around me. I can feel his energy. And at that point, I was kind of an atheist. I had rejected God because I didn't like the God of the Bible. Yes. So I said, if God is this messed up and he's going to punish me and he thinks I'm a sinner, then I just reject the whole idea of God. Um but then I realized, well, okay, if daddy's around me, there's got to be something more to life, right? There's got to be a higher power. There's got to be a creator. So that was the greatest um, gift of his death was 
helping me believe in that higher power again, mm-hmm. that there was something more than just physical life, that that energy continued on and I could feel it. The other huge lesson, which I was just thinking about today because of COVID, um, is because he died so young, I made the decision right away to be as healthy as possible Mm, mm -hmm. because I didn't want to end up like my dad. Yes. Overweight, obese, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and literally dying of a heart attack at the age of 46. I was determined that I was not going to end up this way. Well, and you had said a little bit earlier that one of the things you realized about your family on your dad's side is also this sort of, um, well, you said two things. One, that struggle with weight, which sometimes I think is not just behavioral, but is actually physiological issues around gut health and all kinds of stuff, that that was something that a lot of family members struggled with. And then you also talked about how in your family, there's a pattern, there's this pattern of, of giving up. And so it sounds like you really were like made a very conscious choice to say, you know, the buck is stopping here with me. I am, I am not going to continue this pattern Exactly. And I've had these conversations because, you know, we're connected to our loved ones, even when they pass. And um, I've told them, look, I know you gave up. I know you smoked. I know you drank. I know. But I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to give up. Mm -mm. So because they've come to me with some remorse. in the afterlife about some of the decisions they made. And I said, well, it's kind of too late now. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe next time don't give up and don't trash your health. Like if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And so since I was 18 years old, I've been very protective of my health. I've been on top of it. I've been, my blood pressure is actually low, like Mm -hmm. on the low side, which is unheard of because on both sides of my family, everybody has high blood pressure. Once they reach a certain age, they're on blood pressure medication, Mm. not me and not my sister. So I've made that decision. And I think that that affects me now because I'm very careful about what I take And Mm -hmm. being a sensitive empath, you know that we react. Yes. Everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't just take any old medication and expect that you may not have a a negative side effect from it. Right. Right. I can't even take um, multivitamins and supplements that have multiple formulas or multiple things in them because nine times out of 10, there will be at least one ingredient that sets my system off. And so I've had, I found that I have to do things like I have to like try something, experiment with it, see if it like one, one ingredient, see if it works. And then if it does, then I might be able to add another ingredient. But yeah, as highly sensitive people, I mean, that's the thing when you're highly sensitive, you're highly sensitive. It doesn't just stop with like picking up on (laughs) ghosts and, you know, spirits from the other side or it's it's 
everything. everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. Our antennas are just a lot higher than yeah. everybody else's. Yes. Okay. And everybody is a walking antenna. So we're just, we just have to be careful. And I think a lot of people don't understand that because, you know, they're like, well, why is it such a big deal? You know why? Because we have had some effects that are not so great and will put us in a tailspin. So we can't, we have to be careful. Yeah. Right. I, I wonder if, as we're talking, you know, one of the things that I've, I've had conversations with people who go to see the conventional doctors and who are, who are highly sensitive, but they're working with doctors who are not used to working with outliers. And I've heard so many stories of just the feeling of not being recognized, not being acknowledged, sort of being betrayed by the medical system because they're like, well, everybody else can do this. Why can't you just take this pill or something? And I was thinking, I wonder, was your dad a sensitive? Like, was part of the reason why he just kind of went, I give up was because he wasn't getting, you know, he was getting that feedback coming from people saying, well, you should just be able to take this pill and it shouldn't be a big deal. And I just, so I was just thinking like, you know, with, as you were saying, you and your sister are both empaths, like how sensitive was your dad? I think he was very sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. Very sensitive. And I think he picked that up on in me and he, I think he understood me right away he I just had that feeling he just accepted me for who I was he didn't try to change me although he would get sometimes upset at me at my sensitivity sometimes he would react to that not in a great way <laughs> but um I think he knew that and that's the other lesson I have is later on I realized his love was unconditional mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. me and how rare that is you know yeah. there's there's so much love out there that's conditional mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know but he never you know I was always a straight A student but I remember him saying I don't care what grade you get, Tina, as long as you do your best. And I was yeah. like, what? Like Miss Perfectionist Virgo rising. You know, I'm like, what do you mean? Straight, not getting straight A's, daddy. Virgo <laughs> rising here too. <laughs> right? Yeah. I was like, oh, it's mm, brutal. Okay. That's yeah. nice, daddy, but I'm still going to get straight A's. But it yeah. really hit me that he, that wasn't his expectation. You know, he was just like, do your best. That's what yeah. matters. Yeah. 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 And you were saying, you've said this, um, you, you know, that, that this was something, the revelation that what he gave you was unconditional love came later. So part of me is like the interviewer in me is like, oh, what was it that happened that suddenly the contrast for you that made you realize like that it, it wasn't something you necessarily realized in the relationship, but it was more that you realized it after it was, after it had transitioned into this new form with him being on the other side um you know like how how did you come to realize that his un, his unconditional love was special and unique i could tell that the way i reacted to his death was different than the other people in my family and i had such a hard time i you know, I, I saw my sister move on and accept it and my mother move on and accept it. And I had a hard time accepting it. And people had a hard time with me 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, I did get a cousin that said, you need to get over it. Mm -hmm. You know, what's wrong with you? Mm. And I remember attending a wedding of my uncle and aunt right after he died. I mean, it it had been organized. Obviously, his death was a surprise. But I remember looking, my mother looking at me like, like I was in a bad mood for no reason. And I was like, are you kidding me? My father just died. I don't understand you people. Like I'm here because you're making me be here and I'm dressing up in a bridesmaid dress, but I've always been the kind of person that I can't fake things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I just feel what I feel and I was devastated and no one seemed to understand that you know so i was kind of alone in that but then on the other hand i was uncompromising about my grief too i said well i feel like crap i feel like unhappy and too bad if you're uncomfortable with it you know i'm not gonna pretend you know if you know you can tell me to get over it but that that's not gonna work you know obviously you don't just get over grieving no No, you don't just get over grieving. And I am just really struck by your, like the wisdom in you as an 18 year old to not people please, to not just try to suck it up and get over it or to suppress it or push it down, but that there was a wisdom in you that was like, no, I am grieving. This is what my body and my soul is going through right now. And I'm going to grieve until I, you know, I'm going to grieve like, and so I just go, go you, I mean, what a gift you gave yourself. And also I just like for an 18 year old to have that, that knowledge, that wisdom and that wherewithal, especially with all the pressure you were experiencing, just what a miracle that was. Well, I think I, I was too overwhelmed, really. You know, I really didn't have a choice. And yes, I was a people pleaser, but I was too overwhelmed by my feelings and my grieving to change them. They just totally took over me and I dealt with it in my own way. So this was like, he died this, the week before my high school graduation. Oh my goodness. So Mm. I ended up going to college in the city and I said, well, you know, it sucks. Everything sucks, but I'm, I'm going to have fun now. I'm going to try to enjoy myself. So I love to go out dancing. I went dancing all the time. I dropped a ton of weight. That was great. <laughs> and I, I really felt like that movement helps me through the grieving, moving mm-hmm. my body, doing something to transform that energy. Because I danced so much that I would get a high off of it after mm-hmm. a while, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just from the physicality of it. I wasn't drinking, wasn't doing any of that stuff. I don't care about that stuff. I went straight to the dance floor yeah, and I danced for hours, several times a week. And that was just trying to continue living and moving and breathing, even though I had this huge loss mm-hmm, in my mm-hmm. life. So yes, very wise when I look back on it yeah. that I did that. 
Yeah. Well, and I was just thinking about, you know, obviously you and I are both empaths and I'm pretty sure most of the listeners are as well, that, you know, I just was thinking like how much of the grief like where was the line between like it sounds like you may have been the designated griever in your family system as well Mm -hmm. and so I'm also wondering like what like what point like how much of the all of the ways that you were just like gutted by this like where's the line between what you were feeling for your own experience of losing your 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 person and where was the line of all of the suppressed grief that everybody else was not feeling that you were taking on and feeling as well. So, you know, like how much of, of the, how much of the struggle for you had to do even with the fact that you were dealing with all these other people who were grieving and, but not grieving. That's a very good point because we know that the black sheep usually is picking up on all the unfaced and you know, the undercurrent of emotions in the family. Yeah. And that's probably what I was doing too. And wow, what a burden to carry. What a burden to carry, especially when you've got them all pushing back against you going, you're not supposed to be feeling this. And it's like, well, actually you're supposed to be feeling this and I'm showing what everybody else is not dealing with. It's just, I, yeah. I just, oh, the stress of that. Yeah. yeah. And it, it took, that's a really good, important point that mm-hmm. I have learned. And, and after my father died, I got, I fell in love for the first time. And that person invalidated my feelings. And after that, mm. that experience, I own my feelings there. You can't tell me how to feel that I'm not supposed to feel it, that you know, I'm very hyper aware of anybody doing that. So, you know, I've always been, you know, I was unapologetic at 18. Well, I became super unapologetic about it later. Which is so awesome. I'm really hearing, I mean, you know, if there's one take or one of the takeaways that I really hope people are getting from this conversation is to be unapologetic in your feelings. And as highly sensitive empathic people, I know we are so used to having people saying things like you're overreacting, you're being too sensitive, you're taking it too personally, you know, just like get over it, let it go, stop worrying about it so much. And I think that, you know, something I was hearing recently is just like somebody's discomfort with our emotions is about them, not us. And their attempt to police us, to control us, to manage us, to get us to tamp it down is all about them trying to feel more comfortable. It has nothing to do with who we are. And at, you know, at what point do we stop bending over backwards to meet their needs when it's really, they're not worried about our needs. They're just worried about feeling safe and comfortable. And so I just love that one of the gifts you received from your dad or from this experience with your dad was that just un like just unflappable strength of like no this is what i feel and i am not going to stop feeling this yeah and you're yeah. and i'm a big feeler and i'm very yeah. passionate and i've i've had lots of people react uncomfortably with that yeah and well 
I, I guess I'm just not for you, you know, right. or my, I let my inner circle really see that. And everybody else has the, you know, the watered down version of Tina, you know, like the neighbors mm -hmm. don't, you know, don't really matter. Right. But right. another lesson with my dad that I realized later is, you know, I, I looked back on his life and, you know, when your dad dies at 18, you don't get a chance to ask him questions that as an adult, you would be curious about, right? Yeah, they don't even occur to you at 18 years old. Yeah. No, yeah. I really missed out on that. So mm. I'm the kind of person that really looks at the family and looks at the patterns and looks at what may have gone haywire and what I may have inherited and how I could try to heal that. And I know my father had a alcoholic father um, and he dealt with so much trauma, you know, but yet he was not a drinker. So mm -hmm. he decided to not drink um, unlike his father. And so I reflect on that and give him credit for overcoming yeah. that and healing that pattern. Um, he was, but then I realized there's some things that he was unable to heal, yes. you know, and, and that, you know, that's okay. But now I can take that upon myself and try to heal that everything that he couldn't do. But whenever I look at my parents, I always look at how much they overcame. Yes. Yes. And how much and how what I can do to help us overcome more patterns that I don't want to pass down through our descendants. Absolutely. Well, and I, I've had a similar realization of looking at, um, at the fam my family line and particularly um, on my mother's side that she did not perpetuate the abusive behavior that her mother did like the buck really stopped with her and you know there's looking at like why didn't you deal with this why didn't you deal with that like you know my mother I inherited the world-class awfulizer from her and she's really good at like perseverating <laughs> and worrying and like just like fretting about stuff but what I realized at one point was like the effort that it took to not continue a pattern of abuse like that had been going on for God only knows how many generations or how, you know, how this showed up, but for her to stop that and to give us the safe childhood that we had or the safety in that form, um, you know, was like, that was, that was the thing that allows us to take it one step further and to do to take the healing for our ancestors to the next level. And so the fact that your dad did not perpetuate alcoholism is just, I mean, what an amazing and what an incredible gift. I've also heard with alcoholism that sometimes you'll have it skip generations so there's very common for like you'll have adult you know like alcoholic parents and then adult children of alcoholics who never drink but then the grandchildren it will skip a generation and it's it's not uncommon so the fact that you stopped that and didn't necessarily like like the thread didn't pick back up with you is just such a testament to i think both you and your dad yeah, because, yeah. um, you know, alcoholism is pretty common. And 
I know it's on my husband's side of the family and I watch them and how much they enjoy drinking and it makes me suspicious, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, you better be careful with that because you may like it a little too much. Yeah. 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 I'm it's, I mean, it's so pervasive. I mean, you know, all you have to do is like turn on network television and just watch all of the alcohol commercials. And I know that with the pandemic, there's been a lot of people that drinking has gotten, a lot of people have been drinking a lot more just to try to cope and function. Yeah. So yeah. You got to be careful, be real careful and know your, your family history know your family patterns. Yeah. Um, but yes. you know, stopping that that's game changing. It is game changing. And I think uh, I have clients that do the same thing where they have an unhealthy pattern and they're just completely different. And I always make sure that I communicate to them how huge that is yes. that they decided to be different than their parents and grandparents and great grandparents and how they, their choice heals the family line backward and forward yes yes so it's yes. game changing it really it really really is i mean i i personally believe that everything comes down to um trauma and ancestral healing and that it's like the keys to changing our planet is to deal with our own trauma and our own triggers and to deal with all of the wounds that have been passed forward for generation upon generation that we have to deal with. Because, and the thing is, in my experience, the ancestors want us to help them. They want that support. They don't want to just keep on carrying it around. Like you were saying, you've had ancestors show up and just be like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Mm -hmm. And they want to make, they want to make it better. They, and I believe they are here to help us with this process too. Like they're ready. They're willing. They're excited. And there's something special about this time and this generation too. I think because we're moving from the Piscean age to the Aquarian age or something about that transition, that this is the perfect time to heal all of that. Yes, yes. Yes. So um, that actually makes me uh, have a question for you, which is, so what are your favorite ways to do this work, especially on behalf of the ancestors? In terms of healing, healing, healthy patterns. Yeah. Healing unhealthy patterns. Like, you know, what are some of the ways that you have, have worked on the ancestral legacies? Well, number one, you have to recognize that the pattern exists. Yes. And you have to examine your own fears and triggers. Every time a fear or a trigger comes up, you have to stop and reflect on that and ask yourself, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is not just as simple as saying this lifetime, because we have many, many lifetimes and that trigger and fear may have came from that. How do you figure that, that out? Well, you go to an experienced healer that can help you understand what that lifetime is. You could do a regression, hypnotherapy, or through Reiki, intuitive Reiki. I can do it with my clients. Mm -hmm. um, but other ways to heal it, because I'm a shaman, I can 
talk to spirit and talk to my ancestors. And um, for example, I once did a meditation on mental illness because that runs on my mother's side of the family. And I wanted to go to the root ancestor of where this mm-hmm. started. Mm-hmm. You need to go back. Yes. So I found that root ancestor and I was able to talk to him and he was so distraught still and he had not gone into the light. Mm. And so what I did was I asked my grandfather, his descendant, to come and help him and be with him and take him so he can transition. Yes. So that's huge because if you have an ancestor that hasn't moved on into the light, well, we all feel that whether we know it or not. Yes, yes, yes. And thinking about it, it's like if you have, and trauma, I think, is one of the things that gets us stuck between the worlds and stuck, you know, from and not transitioning or crossing over. And if we start thinking about the impact of that on our planet, like, how many ancestors are stuck in limbo and stuck in that in-between place of being, being, I mean, technically limbo is like in the Catholic world, that's just for baby souls that didn't get baptized, but anyway, um, but just, you know, how many ancestors are in that in-between place because they have not been able to move on and, and what impact does that have on our entire planet? Like it's, it's, It's kind of like, you know, all those shipping containers that are waiting in the harbors right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to get real woo here, but um, I bring it. I'm pretty sure that people can handle (laughs) woo here. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I had a crystal healing session with a a local healer and she's like, there is a, a, a big attachment in your sacrum and she said her her guides or, or her intuition was saying not to remove it, but once you tell me that, of course, I'm going to remove it. So mm-hmm. I contacted my Reiki mentor um, and worked with her on it. And I went back to, again, the female alpha. So we have a long line of alpha females on my mom's side. Mm. So I went back about 12 generations back to her and I realized she had a negative attachment and every alpha female after that had an attachment to this one being. Wow. For 12 generations. So this one being was sucking our energy. So I removed the being, I removed it all. And I was in this big group hug with all my alpha female ancestors. <laughs> and I made sure all those pieces, if there were pieces left behind, were all brought into the light. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And, you know, as you were talking about just sort of that working with the ancestral lines, I was thinking about my, you know, my experience with looking at it. And I I will sort of see 
I can see the lines of the ancestral lines look almost like golden, like cords that run back to this point of origin at the front. And it's like what I'll look for when I'm looking down the ancestral lines are those places where there's like the congestion or sort of the, like it looks like ulcers or wounds or, you know, dark spots in the line where the trauma happens. And it's just amazing what happens when, when we are able to release that and how our ancestors are so grateful, but then everything else just flows in a whole new way. And if listeners are asking, like, how do I start? Yes. How do I even begin? One of the ways is to look at your greatest fear. Mm. Mm. Look at your greatest fear and then look for it in your parents and your grandparents and in your great grandparents. You don't even have to go farther than that. Yeah. And realize that that greatest fear probably is not coming from you. Yes. It's passed down to you. Yes. Yes. Would you be comfortable giving them an example of that in your own experience? Yeah. So my greatest fear is losing my children or harm coming to my children. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so when I really looked at my family line, both my grandmothers were orphans. Oh, wow. So my Filipino grandmother, she lost her entire family to the Spanish flu. Oh, I just got and, chills. Yeah. And, and she had to marry early at 16 to my grandfather. And she had 14, she birthed 14 children. 14 children. And three did not survive into adulthood. Oh. So here's multiple fears of losing loved ones. She lost her whole family and then losing several of her children. And so, you know, that's where that fear came from. Then my grandmother on my dad's side, her mother gave birth to her and 10 days passed away. Oh, wow. And I've been very interested in my grandmother, the one that passed away, because I really feel for her because she was unmarried, out of wedlock. The father did not claim my grandmother, like never really officially. Mm. You know, this is scandalous in 1923. Yeah, yeah. So my heart went out to her. So I make sure I learned as much as I could of her, which there's not a lot of information. But Again, you know, my grandmother not having a mother or a father, you know. Um, So you can see it. You can kind of see how that fear has been kind of running through the family and where that might come from. Yes. And what do you do when you realize that? You, you know, in a meditation or you can even have a conversation, you can say to that ancestor, I know you went through this and I know you went through this fear but I want to release this because this is not mine to carry. Yes. Yes. So I, I give it into the light mm-hmm. to be transformed. Mm-hmm. I release this fear. I um really love personally too adding, I give myself permission to, you know, that sometimes just adding that little bit of that extra sort of like tweak at the front of it. I give myself permission to release this fear. I give myself permission to release this loyalty to suffering that I I found that that can be, has been very helpful at times. 
But what an amazing, you know, the other thing it occurs to me is we're talking about how both of your grandmothers were orphaned and both of them have these incredible stories of loss and abandonment that what, well, abandonment, not necessarily abandonment, losing children, but, you know, but abandonment, losing an entire it family. It may have felt like abandonment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And well, and they had lost their your one grandmother before having all those children had lost everybody else. So abandonment is certainly sounds like it's relevant to both is what's so fascinating is the ways that we like I think we like are like baby ducks that imprint on other people with the same fears. So it's like you get these family lines that are both bringing the same fear and just and perpetuating it <laughs> forward and forward and forward it because all, it, it all looks so familiar <laughs> yeah all went into you yeah yeah now do you have kids tina do you mm -hmm. have um, i have two daughters yeah mm -hmm. and have you seen a shift in terms of as you've done this work a change for them in terms of their you know like their expression of fear and how they function in the world yeah, I mean, I, I know my older daughter is more like my husband. So she's more introverted and more has this more anxiety. Um, but my younger one is totally the next alpha female. I could tell when she was a toddler, I was like, yep, she mm -hmm. is going to be the next one. And she's very empowered. I try to make sure my girls are empowered, you know, and in their power and feeling their power. And there was this survey that came out with the school um, for the parents that had a question, um, has your children ever experienced bullying? And I was like, well, I don't even, I'm not sure. I don't think so. But I asked my youngest daughter, said, have you ever been bullied? And she said, no, no one bothers me. <laughs> Like, they would not right. dare. <laughs> I was like, I guess I'm not worried about you then. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm doing all this, you know, for me, for my ancestors, for my design, I'm doing for everybody, you know, because I can and because yes. I want to, yes. because I have the ability and the skill and the awareness to. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, and um, it sounds like in also with the experience of your father's death, and how it was so life changing. I mean, I hear you, you, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, you really came into your own, you became unapologetic about who you were, and unwilling to let people gaslight you into not feeling what you were feeling. You also went from being more of an agnostic or atheist, where you're kind of like, oh, I don't really believe in the guy in the sky, to having a spiritual path and a spiritual connection. And, and I also hear that it was such a, like, consuming experience like it wasn't like you could just intellectualize or you know just kind of compartmentalize your father's death that it was so intense and so powerful for you that you that it was sort of like you had no choice and it seems to me like there's a way in which you are you're as a sensitive you get how deeply these things are affecting you and you just can't ignore it and so you've willingly taken up the gauntlet 
as opposed to, you know, like turning to food or alcohol or weed or any other number of things that sometimes we try to, you know, numb and avoid as opposed to deal. Yeah. And what are those weird empaths that, and I'm a Pisces too. So I think Mm. Pisces tend to have addictions, but I've always been anti-drug, like hardcore, afraid, don't want to touch any substances. <laughs> like there's something, something must have happened in another lifetime. And I remember those lessons, but I yeah. do want to mention about dreams because even though my father passed away, obviously he's still alive in another type of energy, but I was dreaming about him. And, and in the beginning, my dreams were kind of upsetting with him. And I remember there was one dream where I was crying in the dream and my dad was kind of shaking me like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And I think he was, he wanted me to move on, you know, Mm. and I was having a hard time. And then those dreams transitioned into like, he would be in the background, you know, like he wasn't talking to me, but he was sitting in the stadium while I was watching a concert, for example, in one dream. And, and as, as I healed and moved on, and this is years and years, you know, those dreams got better until um, before the birth of my first daughter, even before I was even planning to have children he came to me in a dream and he said you're gonna have a daughter and that's all he said and I and I was like okay well that was clear and Mm -hmm. when I decided to get pregnant I said I I knew it was going to be a girl because he told me it was going to be yeah yeah so it's it's evolved I still don't dream about him a lot like, like I said, um, before we pressed record, he's not really caring about the earthly life. He was done. Oh mm-hmm, my God. He mm-hmm. didn't want to have anything to do with earth anymore, but mm-hmm. occasionally he'll send me some reminders like easily music. Cause he loved music and there are certain songs I'll hear and I'll think, Oh, I bet, you know, daddy's telling me he's thinking of me. Mm-hmm. He's sending me this song. One year I had a birthday and I was listening to the radio and the DJ is like, oh, Gerald so-and-so is calling in. And I was like, Gerald, that's my father's name. And that is not a common name. Anymore. No, no, not like, a common name. I was like, is this his like hint that he knows it's my birthday? <laughs> so it's little things like that that he'll do. But he pretty much stays out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, I mean, it's so interesting. That's for me, that's one of the things about um, working with communicating with the other side is like some people will pick up the phone. Some people won't. And it just, it's always (laughs) like, like, which is like, I've always sort of thought it's interesting with people who are kind of like anybody who guarantees that they can talk to anybody. I'm like, really? They may not answer the phone. So I just, I love that your dad was like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm over it. I'm, I'm out of here for now. Or maybe he's just out of here and, you know, on to, on to, on to new things and everything. Yeah. And then in, in 
2011, I had my first psychic reading and that opened me up into the esoteric world. And mm. a big part of that reading was him coming through. And I was finally able to talk to him because at the time I didn't know I could communicate, yes. but now I yes. can, but at the time, and that was huge for me. Yeah. Yeah. So he's still giving me gifts from yes. the other side. Yes. Well, and I've noticed that one of the things that I've seen happen for certain people is that even as sensitive people, sometimes it seems like 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 un like unflowing grief will make it very hard to be in communication. And that I had a friend who lost their husband. And after that, even though they were a very sensitive person, the rest of us could communicate with this with with the husband, but they were having a hard time doing that. And I think that a lot of it is that when the grief is so raw and present, it's like that's all you can hear. It's like so loud that mm -hmm. that sort of softer, quieter voice that's coming from the other side, like doesn't always have a way of getting through. So I it's um, and yet once once it's sort of like there's that space the communication can actually become really much easier than right yeah the communication is in the quiet time it's it's yeah. in between the sentences in between the questions it's when you get the information yes yeah I'm just, this has been such a, it has been and is such a rich conversation. And I just, you know, I'm wondering like, so if, if in terms of, I guess one question I've got for you is what do you think or see as being highly, like how being highly sensitive and empathic has affected this story for you? And if you were, and for our listeners who maybe somebody's going through the grieving process, like what, what advice, like what do you wish somebody told you when you were, you know, like what do you wish somebody told you right when your dad died and maybe like a couple years later and maybe even a couple years after that? Like what do you, what advice do you wish you'd been given that you could give our listeners? You know, I would say what I needed from others would have been someone to hold space for me. Mm -hmm. And I did get some of that. Um, but that your feelings are your feelings and allow yourself to grieve. Yeah. Allow yourself to grieve, but know that they are still with you. They're still very much alive. They know everything about you, everything you're feeling and thinking. And are they with you? Yes. 100% mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yes. Every time you think of them, they know. And it pulls them to you like a magnet. So I wish I knew I knew that more because I didn't always feel my father around me. I felt it like right after he died, obviously, but you know, it was, it was hard to physically not have him around. Yes. 
And that's something that I think, especially for those of us who do have the ability to communicate, that, you know, there's a big difference between being able to sense and feel somebody and having somebody who was in your life. And I mean, it sounds like your dad was like your primary caretaker. Like he was, he was, you know, Mr. Mom, that Mm -hmm. he was there for you. And so I just, I think that that's the thing that sometimes we can sort of forget is just that even even if we know there's something on the other side, even if we are able to communicate, there is still that visceral physical loss of our loved one. We don't get to hug them. We don't get to hear their voice, not just in our head. And that that is that is really hard. Yeah, I had this strange moment years later we used to make a lot of cassette tapes i don't know sometimes we'd sing songs and say we're going to send it to the philippines and we never did and there was a cassette tape of my father's voice but i didn't recognize his voice and i said mom who's that and he said that's your father Mm. so i had forgotten what his voice sounded like but I will tell you to this day, I still know what it feels like to hold his hand. Yes. Yes. That I haven't lost. Mm. Well, and sometimes I think with those old, you know, like janky <laughs> tape recorders, you know, like <laughs> from like, 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 you know, 35, 40, 40 or so years ago that um, those tape recorders also like, I think sometimes they can really, they can create enough distortion in the voice that it doesn't really sound like the person that you're listening to. So like, I think about what my voice sounds like on on, you know, here as I'm listening through the headphones and I sound like me, but I think back to when I was a kid and we would record things and then listen to like the tape recording. And I'd be like, that doesn't sound like what I sound like. And it was not just the experience of like the difference between what I sound like in my own head and what I sound like, you know, on a recording, because now I can really hear like, like there was a difference back then. So maybe, okay, maybe. maybe it was actually the audio quality <laughs> and not you, <laughs> you know. But he yeah. had this really deep voice with the New mm. England accent, you know, the New Hampshire accent. I was like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, that's dad. Wow. Yeah. So I had forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah. And, but and as, England- for, as for advice, I thought I handled yeah. it pretty well, you know, um, I just wish I had more support and yeah. Yeah. And, and during that time, whenever you're going through a big life change like that, it could be death or divorce or marriage or moving or something. I find that my sensitivities really heighten Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, and I may take things the wrong way more than usual. So just, just try to be really compassionate with someone who's grieving and just be there for them. Like just let them be with their feelings, let them be safe in their feelings with them. That's the best gift that you could give them. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I think 
one of the things I've noticed too is that grief is grief is really unpredictable. And, you know, you can be coasting along and doing just fine. And then, you know, you wake up and you're just kind of off on, you know, sort of you wake up sideways. And it's not necessarily even like you can put your finger on it and go, oh, I am grieving today. And I think that's the thing is like, it's a lot more subtle than I think people realize. Like, it's not like you just wake up with like, and you got hit with the sadness stick. And you're just thinking like, oh, I'm sad about my dad. It can be that you just wake up and you feel sort of like out of sorts and don't even realize maybe for hours if you even realize that it's actually about grief and that's one thing I've actually noticed that the thing I've noticed with grief that a lot of people never talk about is the exhaustion like the literal physical exhaustion that so many people seem to experience when you lose somebody really dear to you and that it's like just the the bone crushing fatigue um, of and just how hard it can be to just keep going forward when you are feeling so devastated. And I just think grief shows up in so many weird and unusual and different ways. And then when you've got somebody basically saying to you, get over it, suck it up, you know, you should like, like, you should be over this by now. Uh, that makes it so hard. So I just, Tina, as we've had this conversation, I just really want to hold up the triumph of, you know, these places where you had the choices to go in one direction or in another, and you went, you went, you like you chose you, and you chose the good, you chose like the best possible way of doing it. You gave yourself permission to feel the feelings. You recognized what unconditional love is. You also, when you had the first, you know, you could have easily have gone in a very different direction with that first love, like, you know, where you were like, I fell in love, but he was really invalidating. I mean, mm -hmm. how many women throw themselves under the bus for that one? And and completely try to bend over backwards and pretzel themselves to be something different. You took that experience and went never again. Like, wow. And I fought him the whole way. Yeah. Even so though I didn't know exactly what he was doing, which now he totally gaslit me for four mm -hmm, years. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that was even a term back then um, in the mid nineties. But yeah. like, yeah, I fought with him the whole time because I knew that something was wrong. Like, yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah, I I've always kind of had a healthy self-esteem and I've always been feisty. So that was a lot of fighting. <laughs> yeah. Being the alpha female and you're being, being one in a long line of alpha females. Yeah. And I just it's like. But for the fact that you were able to, you fought for yourself again and again, and that you you broke patterns that had been going on for you know generations, and instead of just continuing to perpetuate things, it just sounds like at every place where you had the choice to either sink or rise, you have ascended, <laughs> and that you have really opted to do like to go for the health and to go for the recovery and to, but also not just to hold it for yourself, but really like the ripple in your ancestral lines and in your descendants lines, like you are this point of light that just like, 
it feels, I can feel like the part of you that just like you took your, like you took your staff or, you know, and you just like, you you know, like you, you took your tent stake and you just put it down in the ground and you said, this is, it's stopping here. And like the radiance that I can feel and I can sense and I can actually see of what you've done, not just for your, like, like that just it's spreading across like such a wide swath of people because of that, that like, no, I'm going to do this my way. And I'm so sorry that you didn't have people to be there for you, that you didn't have people to hold space for you, that you, you ended up being the person who had to hold space for yourself for the most part. And the fact you, you held space for yourself when nobody else was or did. Yeah. And for the whole family, apparently. Yeah. 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 But you know, I'm, this is not a uh, mundane life for me, you know, I'm I'm getting stuff done and I feel it. Yeah, I feel the difference and I know the difference and I see the difference. And so that motivates me to keep going and doing more and more as much as I can while I'm in this incarnation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and I get accolades for it. I get gifts for it. Universe responds to me when I want something. So, you know, it's all good. It's mm-hmm. so worth it. It is so worth it. It is so worth it. Well, and I know that anytime I'm willing to do the work and clear the wounds and address the places where things, where the fears have got us bunched up, where where we're stuck, that when I am willing, especially to face the stuff that's gnarly and, and just hard, that every time I do that, I am rewarded with like, it's like, the river starts to flow again. And it's just, I hope that in this conversation that we are inspiring other people to do this work. Like I hope that people are getting the, there are so many rewards that come from the willingness to do the work. And and, and if you can't be any, you don't do it yourself either. I mean, the way the universe is set up is we have to go to others for help. Yes. And so find that Reiki healer, find that empathic healer, someone to help you through it so you can figure out and pinpoint exactly what the root is, what happened. And then that awareness itself is going to heal it. Yes, yes. And I am such a big fan of one of my favorite lines is you can't read the label from the inside of the jar. And I just really think, you know, we didn't get we didn't create these problems on our own. We're not going to fix the problems on our own. And we need, you know, part of, part of, I mean, this whole culture of rugged individualism and suck it up buttercup and get over it. I think it's just such an incredible disservice because we heal in community and we heal with support. And one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves is to ask for support and receive support. So And I just, I keep on thinking about another example of like, just the rewards of this is when you were describing your younger daughter and just how feisty she is and just kind (laughs) of like, like unflappable. She's just like (laughs) bullying me. Nobody would have the guts to do that. Like, yeah, not happening. (laughs) And I'm just, but it's like, that is a sign that is health. 
And that is to me, is just such an example of you did something right. And here your daughter is showing the reward of what you've done. Exactly. Exactly. So it was validation. Yes, she is good. She's taken care of. She can take care of herself. Awesome. Awesome. So one thing I wanted to mention is uh, right now we have COVID. There's a lot of people getting sick, maybe losing loved ones. So I'm hoping that this episode is going to give you some peace of mind. Yes. That know that your loved ones have not left you. They have just simply changed energy and they are very much alive. I know this because I can feel it. I've felt the aliveness. So, you know, you may not be able to hug them physically, but they'll you can still communicate even if it's one way or you can help someone do the two, find someone to help you do two-way communication. The two-way communication, but, absolutely. But yeah, but they are still very much alive. Yes. And yes. they and always, always will love you. They will never stop loving you and looking after you. Absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, they will also send signs. They, and my experience is that they don't always have the wherewithal to send signs, but every so often, like at those crucial moments, like, you know, and sometimes I, I know people who experience like their loved ones coming through, you know, as you were describing the experience of like a song coming on the radio where you just know that this is a message for you, or I've seen, I've known people where it's like certain birds or butterflies or other things that just Mm -hmm. show up. My dad communicates with us through the sky. And on the night that he died, there was the most, he was a sailor. And so there's that old saying, um, red skies at night, sailors delight, red skies in the morning, sailors take warning. So the night that he died, we went outside and both in Massachusetts and in Maine, we the sky was one of the most spectacular red sky pink sky it was so beautiful it was like un it was just breathtaking and then we scattered his ashes the other day and the sky was this spectacular golden sky with like light everywhere and then right after we scattered his ashes suddenly like there was just this blush of pink all over the clouds that came through you know he wasn't able to give us a pink sky for the whole time but there was that quality and I think that's the other thing is like you know look for the signs they do send them there is that that you know those those do exist and the and, sign will be specific to you. It'll be something yes. important to you. And if you're not getting the sign, ask to send me a sign that you're really with me. Send yes. me a sign that there's no doubt that I could dismiss this, you know, and, and know that it's absolutely you sending me that sign. And they'll yes. be happy to send a sign along to you. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and I think that that is something that, that, um, not only is that really good, a, a good request with our loved ones and our deceased, but also with the angels and with the divine is that sometimes if we're having those moments where we're feeling bereft and we're feeling disconnected, that sometimes we just, if we say, I like, I've had some of the most powerful experiences in my life where I have been at the absolute bottom and feeling so completely hopeless. And when I finally just like go uncle and ask for help, the miraculous things that happen right after that, where it's like the universe is like, 
thank you for asking us. We wanted to give you a sign, but you just weren't, you were resist, like you weren't even asking for help. So I just, I love that you are reminding us how incredibly important it is to ask for something just like undeniably clear. Yeah. And just yeah. to have fun with it. Like last night I was taking a walk outside because the moon was really bright and the weather's been beautiful and cool down here for the first time in a long time. And I said, Hey, is anybody out there, you know, in the sky? And I saw this bright light just kind of flash at me. Mm. And I said, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I got a response right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and sometimes it's sort of like the other side of it is like, be careful what you ask for because you will get it. It can be quite fast too. So yes. just get ready. Get ready. <laughs> get ready. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Tina, thank you so much for sharing all of this information and just for this really great conversation. It's really just a a topic so dear to me. So thank you so much. And thank you for being so truthful and real and honest and just really being present with us and, you know, sharing the true, true. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to share it and hopefully it'll help a lot of people out there. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. This has been such a rich conversation. So how can people find you? All right. Well, um, my website is Tina Kinney Clark, Clark's with an E. Um, You can find me there. I do remote sessions. I do Reiki, EFT, mediumship sessions. We can do ancestral work if that's what you're interested in doing. I've been doing that a lot with myself and my clients, Mm -hmm. which with great success. Um, And I also have a podcast, My Weirdest Experience. Yes. Which is how you and I connected. Right. And I launched that last March. So that's lots of fun. I get to meet wonderful people like Jennifer and connect with people all over the world. So I love doing that. My Facebook pages um, are Divine, um, Divine Healing of Charleston. And also I'm on Instagram. You can find me there. Stargazing Angel LLC is the name of my business. I've been in business since 2014. So my website's got all my information on me. Contact me there, email, messaging, how whatever works for your audience. And I believe um, it, tinakinneyclark.com. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And for anybody who's listening and they're just like, you're driving or something like that. And you can't just write down a URL. (laughs) If you come on over to empathicmasteryshow.com, you will find in the show notes directions or information on how to reach out to Tina, how to go to her website and to get uh, learn about all the things and absolutely check out her awesome podcast. Because if you like this show, I can pretty much assure you you're going to like Tina's show as well. 
Tina, thank you so much for being here. And I just, you know, as, as we're recording this, we are in the Samhain season where the veil between the worlds is thinnest and mm -hmm. where it's easiest to communicate with our beloved dead. And so I just love that we have had an opportunity to talk about not just grief, but a little bit, we've touched on a little bit about mediumship, but also, you know, something that is really near and dear to both of our hearts, which is ancestral healing. So thank you so much for joining me today. This was absolutely awesome. Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.